Are you ready to take your real estate investing business to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. With your mentors, Wayne and Gabby. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Today is June 24th, 2022. We're broadcasting live on the Podbean app as we do every morning. Download the Podbean app, look up the Real Estate Investing Morning Show, and, and you get to listen in live, just like everybody else who's slowly, slowly making their way in today. Wow, everybody's taking their time. Maybe I should have waited a minute. Uh, anyways, regardless... <laughs> Everybody will get in when they get in. But um, yes, you can join in and, and, and join all these other you know real estate investors who join in every morning at 6 a.m. And there's also a call-in button, which is which is really cool. Just like your normal radio drive time morning show, you can click the call-in button. And you can call in and ask any questions about real estate investing. And we will answer them for free every morning. Okay. Um, now, I do not have my normal co-host today and I don't even have my backup co-host my daughter uh, because they went away for a little camping trip so you just got me today and uh, potentially potentially a 95% confirmed um, special guest today uh, and we'll just see uh, Barry McGuire is uh, scheduled to come in this morning uh, when he does come in we'll let him in and there's a few things we want to talk about um, yeah, so that's, that's what's going on for today. <clears throat> um, again, any questions you guys got, please click the call in button, call in, um, and we'll discuss them for free. Um, oh yeah, weather. Do you guys need weather? I feel like I'm talking to myself. I am talking to myself, aren't I? This, this is, this is why I hate doing it by myself. Uh, weather, if you want weather, um, Google it. You know what? Regardless, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's going to be a nice day where I am today. And uh, regardless of the weather, it's going to be a nice day wherever you are, too. All right, go play in the rain. Okay, it's not that bad. So, um, seize the day. Uh, we've got a couple upcoming events uh, coming up here um, this weekend, literally in the next two days. Uh, today, we've got Friday Live Training at 6 p.m. That is uh, free live training every Friday in our real estate investing um, Facebook masters. Sorry, real estate investing masters uh, Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group every Friday we do live training. Um, tonight at six p.m. Mountain Time, we're going to be doing a session, a training session on determining ARV, which stands for after repaired value. So, a few different scenarios where you'd need that might be. Um, if you did some renovations and you want to know how much your property's worth or your, how much your rental is going to be worth um, after you've repaired it, what the value is going to be. That's, that's, that's one way. Um, that's when you would use it. Also when you're doing flips or burrs, if you're planning on your strategy is to renovate the property and to, um, you know, improve it, uh, whether that be to sell it or whether that be to, to refinance it at the new appraised value and, and try and pull some of your money back out using the burst strategy. Um, 
ARV or learning how to determine after repaired value is extremely important, extremely important because you should know before you buy a property. Okay. Don't just buy a property and think, oh, I'll add a basement suite and it'll increase the value and I'll get all my money back out. You got to uh, begin with the end in mind and you need to do your diligence and do your math ahead of time. And that's what we're going to teach you tonight at 6 p.m. We've got a special guest host for that, uh, Calvin Hexter, um, expert, uh, Edmonton real estate uh, realtor and investor. Um, is going to be joining us and he's going to share exactly how to do that or at the very least how your realtor um, uh, would do it. So join us for that. <clears throat> As well, this Sunday, uh, June 26th, we've got our Advanced Real Estate Investing Workshop. Um, we're going to be covering a full-day workshop on building your real estate investing brand. Okay, So all the, the tips and secrets and, and strategies to building your, your brand as a reputable real estate investor to attract opportunities. Plain and simple. How to attract, you know, uh, how to close more deals, how to attract more joint venture capital. How to earn yourself, you know, um, get your way onto more stages, onto more podcasts, which ultimately grows your brand and brand, you know, and, and, and grows it until eventually to the point where you've got so many opportunities coming across your desk that you, you start saying no to them, right? How many of you would actually would, would love to have <laughs> more joint venture capital than you can actually use? Okay. This is the secrets in order to get that. Um, that's, there's no newsletters, there's no secret one-liners or handshakes or, um, any scripts. It's just straight up building yourself as a reputable real estate investor that people want to approach as opposed to you approaching them with your goofy scripts. Okay. So that's, that's coming up on Sunday, June 26th. There are still tickets available for that. You can register up until tomorrow. So if you want to get in on that, you know, don't wait. And, um, if you come next week and you start asking me questions about um, what do I say to joint venture partners or prospects um, when I meet with them, I'm going to tell you you should have been at that workshop last Sunday. It's giving you the truth. It's giving you the honest truth. Okay. Um, oh, and uh, we do have a special uh, discount code for you to get 50% off. So use discount code Morning Show um, when you sign up and you'll get 50% off. Okay. So there you go. You're welcome. Okay, just gonna check the comments here. Jeremy always coming in with like some of the most. <laughs> Jeremy, uh, you gotta start. You start, gotta start emailing in your questions because Jeremy's questions are always need longer answers or a little more prep for answers. Um, it's never a yes or no uh, question. <laughs> so. Um, I, I will pass that off to Bear, uh, Jeremy's got a question for Barry Ray out of the gate. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to um, uh, passing that on to Barry today. But you, you sure love to make things complicated. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't truthfully I don't truthfully know the answer to that question. I mean, it's a Google. It's a Google search away. But that's very good. Um, OK, just getting through all the comments here. Perfect. Um, I'm going to send an invite off to Barry here because I think he's here. Um, Barry McGuire is a real estate lawyer and investor in the Edmonton area. Uh, I guess it's just straight in Edmonton. Right? You're born and raised in Edmonton, right, Barry? Yes, I am. I'm uh, one of those rare guys. My dad came to Edmonton when he was five years old from Thunder Bay. So been around a while. 
Very cool. Very cool. Yes, uh, Barry's been uh, a real estate lawyer for, you know. <laughs> 40 years. <laughs> uh, you know, long enough, okay? Long enough. Uh, long enough to, to, to be able to answer just about any question that you have. Um, one thing, Barry, it seems a little uh, quiet on your end, and I know I, I'm going to save myself 45 minutes worth of editing later. Um, if, just a little bit closer. All right. Uh, let's see. There's my mic there. How's that? Any better? That is good. That is good. I'm going to adjust my mic as well, just in case, uh, so that I'm not significantly louder than you are. But thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, well, you're welcome. I'm, I uh, made a big cup of coffee, and I was listening to your introductory remarks and i uh, just want to add on a little bit to the brand side of things if you don't mind mm. yeah absolutely and the part that the part that i want people to understand and i think you want them to understand uh, that is that once you establish yourself through your branding as a reputable real estate investor i totally 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 uh support wayne's comments that you will have more folks lining up to work with you than you can shake a stick at. You will turn people down. You will, you will say, this is great. I just now need to find more projects that work for the people that want to, that want to work with me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, and really, as we all know, if you, if you pop into a room of a hundred people who say they're interested in being real estate investors, I mean, I think 90% of those people, are the kind of investor who want to write a check to someone else to do all the work. All they, all they want is to believe and feel and understand and be utterly confident that you are the person to give their money to because you know what you're doing, because you're reputable, because their money is safe with you, uh, and they will write you checks all day long. I mean, seriously, there is all the joint venture money in the world available to you if you uh, establish your brand always do what you say you're going to do and people will line up i'm telling you folks it's exactly what happens and you listen to wayne he's completely got it on that point mm -hmm. it's all it's all built around trust they, they you know and if someone's going to invest a significant amount of money with you they got to know and feel confident that you're the person that they can trust and it's it goes beyond uh just you know, answering their questions or having the right script, you know, the right answer to, to, to every single what if, uh, at the end of the day, they need to trust you. And the best way to build trust is, is, is through reputation and, 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 and a brand, uh, a brand as a reputable investor. Um, well, I mean, that's, um, that's totally true. And as much as we say always, uh, when you're entering into a relationship or thinking about doing a deal, we always say, listen, you've got to, accomplish a certain amount of diligence on the person or the situation so that you uh, you know you think you've ferreted out the you know the hidden things and looked under the rocks and figured out whether uh, you actually should do a deal with a person that's mm -hmm. i mean we tell people to do that and i do believe that you have to do that kind of thing mm -hmm. but the truth of it is that people buy you they buy you they don't go, Wayne, you know, yeah, listen to his podcast. I think he's a decent guy. Eh, I don't know. But what they do is they say, man, that Wayne, he's this and he's that and he's something else. And uh, it's all because of the brand. And they make the leap from, hmm, I think I'd like to 
put some money into real estate. I wonder what I should do. They make the leap from that to Wayne's the guy, or any of our listeners are the person, and, and they write checks and give it to you. People, people don't, they don't write checks to you because they've analyzed you up, down, and sideways, mostly. Most people uh, want to trust you, and as soon as they trust you, then they will work with you and you know and then they're protected it's it's actually not a bad way to do it mm-hmm. they they work with a trusted reputable person i mean mm-hmm. their their leap without doing any diligence isn't going to get them in trouble because you're not going to get them in trouble yeah anyway 100% talk about that a little bit so important got to understand the psychology and how this really works and that makes your brand building uh, the brand building that you're going to help people with tonight. Is it tonight? No, uh, Sunday. Sunday. Oh, Sunday. Sorry, Sunday. Yes. The brand building that you're going to do on Sunday. That's why it, it, it makes it uh, it makes it so important. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Barry and I, uh, we were having dinner the other night and we were talking about this a little bit. And I mean, just look at Barry. Everybody knows Barry. Like <laughs> you just say Barry in real estate circles in, in, in Alberta and, and a lot of parts of Canada. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know Barry. You don't even know your last name. You are the Barry, you know, and, and that's just yeah. branding because of years and years of building trust with people and having a reputation. Anyone says anything about creative strategies in Canada, you got to talk to Barry. Anyone says anything about real estate um, uh, lawyer, who do, who's the real estate lawyer that I use in, in Edmonton or Alberta? Barry. You know what I mean? That's Barry's got a solid brand. Yeah. And, and that didn't, uh, I mean, that it has not always been like that. It, it is like that now because I've worked on my own brand. Lawyers never talk about brands. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Talk to any lawyer. So, so how's your business? Uh, what's your branding like? You think branding? Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the cattle business here. What are you talking about? I'm a lawyer. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, it hasn't always been like that for me, but it has worked like that for. For me, because I have put effort into establishing my own brand and doing it in various ways. We won't go into all that, but yeah. I'm telling you folks, I get, I get calls and inquiries and um, work with people all across the country. And I go, where did that come from? Oh, yeah, it's because I have a brand. Mm-hmm. So works uh, works for everybody and it certainly works uh, in real estate. So you listen to Wayne. Go and make sure you see him on Sunday. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, okay. So I know there's a couple of things that we kind of discussed, um, you know, off air about things we want to talk about this morning and I made notes of that, but right away, as soon as I got started, two questions popped up and do you mind answering them? No, that's, that's, let's do it. Okay. So Jeremy, um, Jeremy has a question says question for Barry. What are the seven essentials of a contract? Okay, I don't know if you said this, Wayne. Jeremy, what the... <laughs> it's 6 a.m., Jeremy. <laughs> uh, that is uh, sort of definitely the subject of a longer, more considered email. But, uh, I mean, we could take a, a crack at that. Yeah. Uh, in law school, lo these many years ago, if I've been a lawyer for 47 years, how long was law school ago? Uh, <laughs> but contracts is a first-year class. Is a first year class. And <laughs> I'm going to segue into a little story. 
yeah about contracts i remember like it was yesterday showing up in law school on my very first day of law school very first day it's eight o'clock in the morning and it's contracts that's the class and i walk into this giant lecture hall one of those tiered lecture halls that rises up and there are uh there's about 150 the whole class is taken there's 150 people in that room i walk in and of course i'm late i'm late and <laughs> the crustiest professor in the law school is teaching contracts and i walk in and i look around and he nails me he goes and sir who are you you go i'm uh, barry mcguire a berry <laughs> don't you know who i am <laughs> yeah the brand wasn't as well established then or at all anyway he goes don't you ever be late to my class again he ripped the strip off me and i was standing there there was a, a a guy beside me there was an empty chair and he he grabbed me by the back of my my shirt and yanked me down in the chair and he he whispered in my ear he said don't pay any attention to him he's an a-hole <laughs> This was a guy who had failed contracts. He was coming back for his second run at it. And he turned out to be one of my best friends, a guy I still hang out with uh, to this day. Anyway, oh, wow. sideline. But in, in contracts, the three things they tell you rather than the seven things to have, a, uh, to have a contract, you need the parties, the property, and the price. Parties, property, and price. Now there's a fourth one that if you're doing real estate, when you say properties, I mean, it could be anything, the subject matter of the contract. Mm -hmm. So you need to know uh, Wayne is selling and Barry is buying. Those are the parties. The property is Wayne's new home in Leduc because he's moving out into a more luxurious place somewhere else, he and Gabby and Everly. So that's the property. And the price, Wayne is selling me that home for $250,000 because he's such a good guy. So, yeah, you betcha. Yeah, great deal. Um, the other thing about real estate is uh, it has to be in writing. So there's a fourth thing. A real estate contract has to be in writing. Whereas if I'm buying your lawnmower, that doesn't have to be in writing. It could be the same mm. parties, the properties, the lawnmower, and the price is 100 bucks. It got to be in writing. And for people who like this kind of stuff, the reason it has to be in writing is because of a piece of British legislation from the 1700s called the Statute uh, of Frauds. Statute uh, of Frauds. It see, says, I thought it was the Magna Carta, but okay. All right. No, fine. not the Magna Carta. I think they're close. <laughs> close. That established a bunch of rights. Uh, so there are so those are four things. The parties, the property, the price, and for real estate, it has to be in writing or it's not a valid deal. Okay. But um, I don't know what the other three essential elements might be, Jeremy, uh, somewhere along the line. You tell us. Google's got contract basics, contract classification, the offer, the acceptance, meeting of the minds, consideration, capacity, and legality. Okay. okay so but there's so many different versions of this online, so it's hard to say. We could we could run with some of those. So consideration, uh, yes, any contract has to have what they call consideration in it. Consideration is something that passes between the parties. 
to make it a deal. And there's another famous case by a guy called Lord Denning, who said in a in a discussion about consideration, when there was a you know a, a big mansion for sale, he went even a peppercorn is sufficient consideration. <laughs> so uh, you got to have something passing between the parties, and that can just be a promise. So that's yes. be a, a real thing. Uh, what were some of those other things, Wayne? Capacity. Uh, contract basics, contract classification. No, not those ones. Capacity was one thing you said. Um, uh, capacity, yeah, that's another capacity, one. Capacity, and ca capacity means do each of the parties have the mental awareness and, and capability to be responsible for the deal they're getting into? Yes. So someone who doesn't have all their mental faculties and really medically speaking doesn't understand what they're doing does not have capacity capacity and so another little segue so folks when you're out there uh, looking at deals <coughs> if you find a deal on your own or doesn't much so much happen when you're working with realtors but if you find a deal on your own if it happens to be an older person then mm -hmm. you have to say to yourself uh, does this older person understand what they're doing? Do they have all their marbles? Do they really, do they really, really get this? Because that's the capacity side of it. And you may not be able to judge because you're not a medical person. It may look all fine to you. And, uh, you know, my dad had dementia and he, at least in the early stages of it, he was, he was able to hide that really well. He learned, he knew he had dementia and he knew he was getting worse. But he learned how to hide that so that on first or second meeting with him, you wouldn't know it. I mean, if you walked into a wedding and were introduced to my dad at, in his early stages of dementia, he could glad hand you and talk sort of frivolous things until the cows came home and you'd leave going, oh, that Rod McGuire, what a nice guy. Mm -hmm. and, and really, he didn't, he was at the stage where he barely could make a, a, a cup of tea for himself. He just, oh, jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so that's capacity. And um, the other part of capacity is because it starts showing up uh, a lot later in life, if you're, uh, if you're dealing with an older person and let's, I mean, I don't know what older is. As an older person myself, I'm a little sensitive about this. But, <laughs> you can understand. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that, Wayne? I forgot what you were saying. Um, <laughs> no, so when you're dealing with an older person, they might be sharp and they might be fine and it might be great. Um, but something else you have to watch out for is their family might not think they have capacity. So sometimes the younger members of a family uh, diminish older folks' um, ability. Oh, he's yeah. an old guy. You know, we have to watch out for him. And so you might cut a deal with an older person and have family members show up a week later saying, what the hell are you doing taking advantage of my mom? So I think you got to watch for maybe getting younger family members involved when you're dealing with somebody who's 75 or 80, uh, just because they'll come by later and uh, scotch your deal if, uh, if they're not involved. So right. you just, just got to be sensitive to that. There's no, there's no real answer of things that you must do. 
It's just right. watch for capacity and think about getting younger family members involved if you're working with an older person in order for them not to come along and ruin your deal later. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think that there's like, like you're trying to say that I don't think there's a, there's a standard um, answer. There's no certain age that a person just automatically loses their, you know, capacity or it starts to diminish. I think everyone's just different and that's just, it, it, everyone gets older in different ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know some people that are in their fifties and they, <laughs> You know, it's, it's it's sometimes mental health gets involved and stuff, stuff that I clearly do not understand. But I think, as Barry said, you know, just um, just be really careful. And if you feel like there's something going on there, then then get other family members involved. I guess that was kind of my my next question was that you know, if you you know, let's say you've got this amazing deal and you feel in your heart that it is win win, but you also you want you're a little concerned. Um, you know, how, how could you go about, um, involving other parties or how could a seller go about, um, doing this properly? So you feel like you're protected, like what a power of attorney perhaps, you know, kind of alleviate that a little bit. Uh, well, I mean, I think it depends on the circumstances of the, of the deal. So you, you talked about win, win and uh, folks, um, Wayne has probably talked to you about this. I talk about it all the time. We teach it in our focus workshops uh, where we talk, talk to folks about creative real estate. Uh, we always, always, always play for, for win-win. So, and this is a perfect place to talk about it. So if you, if you found someone who was selling a property and, you know, you thought they were, eh, you know, okay mentally speaking but maybe not the sharpest or you, you know, just a little edgy i think they might be not quite have full capacity you would you would because we play for win-win and we treat people fairly you would never 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 uh take advantage of that person and so in that circumstance i mean what would you do if you're talking to an older man or a woman or it doesn't have to be older i mean mm -hmm. as, as you said wayne um, I mean, people can have mental difficulties or there's early onset Alzheimer's. I mean, I hate it when I'm seeing that somebody passed away of early onset Alzheimer's and they were only 52. Like, yeah, that's so it's, it's terrible that that happens. And it's so sad. So, uh, I mean, people can lack capacity at any age, but we don't take advantage of people. And if you think there's an issue, I mean, what would you do? You might say to the person, um, you know, are you getting any help on this? Uh, do you have a son or a daughter or anybody who, you know, can help you work your way through some of these details? Because I'd love to get them involved. Yeah. And, you know, try and <coughs> poke under the surface a little bit to see if there's anybody else that you can, that anybody else you can talk to. What about like uh, independent legal advice as well? Uh, you know, independent legal advice would help you. Uh, I think. I think you have to sort of push it in the direction of them getting some help from somebody. So right. uh, they say to you, well, no, sorry. Uh, you know, I moved here from England and there's nobody here in my family. There's just me. There's just me. And so uh, you might say to them, yeah, well, you're going to need your own lawyer. No, sorry. My lawyer can't act for both of us. You're going to have to have your own lawyer. And because you're kind of on your own here, I'm going to, get your lawyer to give give me some advice it's called independent legal advice it's you talking to your own lawyer about this deal 
and making sure that it works for you. So here's my form. This is a one-page form you can give them. You need to set up with your own lawyer and, and get mm -hmm. it signed so that you have this fully explained to you. So that would be you know, one way to get them. And then you, I mean, really, you're kind of foisting this onto the other lawyer, onto their lawyer, the independent lawyer, to maybe see things the same way you do, that this person has uh, a, bit of, a bit of trouble. Yeah. And if that, you know, if that doesn't work, uh, I mean, this, this is such a hard conversation to have. And it really this, is. This doesn't come up very often. So I don't want you going away thinking, oh, my God, every deal I'm going to have to do my own uh, layman's <laughs> medical assessment of, of the situation and, and, and worry, worry, worry about capacity. Right. The issue of capacity almost never comes up in, in deals that we do. And, and lots of the things we talk about never come up. <clears throat> But they're kind of good for you to know yes that they might come up so i don't want to beat this up uh don't want to beat this up too much i mean in the worst case scenario you might say to somebody i'd love to do this deal with you but i'm kind of worried that maybe you don't understand this the way you should um who's your doctor let's see <laughs> and then you're in and then you're in the soup aren't you yeah doctor what do we need my doctor for are you implying that i'm nuts <laughs> and, there, and there goes your deal yeah yeah to, soft shoe your way around this to to get the, the answer that you need which is the person does have capacity so that you know you are playing for win-win and not uh not beating them up even uh, when you don't mean to yes yes i guess i guess i would um where i wanted to direct this and kind of close out this question a very long answer a very thorough answer um i guess what i what i wanted to, to finish it off with is that Contracts, they really are just a piece of paper that you own. You're only using them in the event that things go wrong, right? Yes. Well, you, and in most cases, you never look at them ever again. Well, it's true that you want them in the case something goes in case something goes wrong. But for the for real estate deals that we all do, you do need them as the repository, the framework of the deal. So yes. uh, you and I could write that contract for your house. Wayne on uh, you know on a note on a piece of note paper that you get when you go into the hotel a little five by seven notepad I Barry agree to buy Wayne's house in the Duke uh, described as follows for the price of two hundred fifty thousand dollars closing <coughs> July 31st signed Barry signed Wayne and then the deal wouldn't go sideways because Gabby's name isn't on the contract but right um, but that's the that's a contract but the contract that Calvin uses, um, I mean, Calvin uses the standard Alberta real estate contract, which is really quite a good contract for buyers. I mean, that is a seven or eight page contract that has lots of spaces to fill in. And it really, it's, it governs the deal. You fill in all the slots and that's where you look to see. So what's going on with the real property report? Oh yeah, right, I see it right here. Mm. Uh, deposit, who's, who's paying deposit? Oh look, there's an increased <coughs> deposit. Oh, look, he's crossed out this warranty about being a resident of Canada. So it's uh, certainly you want it, definitely want it signed if you're having a fight. But you yeah. also need it to uh, to tell everybody what the details of the deal are. Yeah. Well, we're obviously mostly referring to, to purchase contracts right now. Um, Josh had another question about, um, I guess, from what it sounds like, I think he's referring to like a promissory note kind of contract. Um his question was when pitching to a joint venture, okay, here we go, pitching, 
uh, <laughs> and they're unsure of the risks and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm curious how the contracts work in that if option A, I was to borrow your money as a hard loan, how secure is that contract? Like say, uh, I, I guess the concern that he's having is that, you know, he wants to borrow some money on a, on a promissory note, um, you know, to, to, to do uh, a real estate deal. But I, I think he's just going to use the funds for probably like a, like renovation funds. And he's going to borrow it on a promissory note and, and use those funds. He, uh, his uh, joint venture prospect, because here this is where the confusing part is, is because he wants to borrow money. And he's also saying joint venture and there's, there's two different things, right? You got to, you got to differentiate, you know, what a joint venture is. And that's like almost like a, a joint venture partnership where your, your partner is going to share in the profits. Whereas when you're borrowing money on a promissory note, you're just paying them a fixed rate of return. Right, Barry? Uh, yeah, this, um, this confusion uh, comes up a lot when you're looking to get involved with a joint venture partner. Um <clears throat> The two scenarios there are, are these. So in a true joint venture, you uh, as the investor, as the working partner, are looking for a money partner. And the two of you want to put together uh, a joint venture uh, agreement. Uh, and the classic is, listen, I'm the, I'm the investor worker finder guy. I'm going to find the property, set it all up, organize everything that needs to be done about this. I'm not putting in any money. You, my money partner, are putting up the deposits. You're qualifying for the mortgage. You're establishing the staying power fund, the reserve fund. And by the way, we have to do a little renovation, which is going to cost 20K, and you're putting up all that money. Uh, and in return, we are uh, joint venture partners, 50% each on this, on this property. And then there's a, you know, a 10 or 12 page joint venture agreement that sets out yeah. all those things. So that's the classic joint venture. But people often say, I'm going to do a joint venture with somebody and it's a hard money loan and they're going to give me this and and I'm going to borrow it and here are the terms, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they often say that that is a joint venture. But as you said, Wayne, that's not a joint venture. That's a loan. Yes. That's a loan. And so if you and your now will take off his joint venture hat yeah. and put on his lender hat. Now he's a lender, you're a borrower. The question is how do you give your lender uh, you know, warm feelings and security that if he lends yes. you the $20,000, he's gonna get paid back. Yes. So that's where we get to. And um, if Josh's question is what, how can you make him feel warm and how, how can you make your lender feel warm and fuzzy? Well, the really the minimum security that your lender should ask for is a promissory note. Yes. Is a promissory note. So um, uh, I, Wayne, agree to lend Josh $20,000 uh, at 10% interest uh, due in one balloon payment on October 31st, 2022. Uh, and often folks think that is, I mean, that's a, a promissory note. Signed yeah. Josh and Wayne. That's a, a note. That's fine. Uh, but it is, it is not a secure promissory note because in order to uh, really have some teeth in the loan, it also has to say, uh, hi, Josh, hereby charge my property 
and then you insert the legal description of a property with mm -hmm. repayment of this debt. So that those words in a promissory note allow Wayne to register that promissory note against Josh's property, where Josh has some equity or will have some equity. And if the deal goes bad, Wayne's security is the is the property against which the promissory note is registered. Right. So right. that is the minimal <laughs> amount of security that um, any lender should accept. Promissory notes are are uh, not great security because if the deal goes bad, then uh, Wayne, as the lender, has to sue Josh, mm -hmm. uh, issue a statement of claim, launch a lawsuit in order to claim his money back. Yeah. And a, a lawsuit on a promissory note is just any old garden variety lawsuit. You have to, there's a bunch of hoops you have to jump through without very much protection for Wayne the lender. Better security, a, a smart lender will say, uh, uh, you know, that's great, but promissory note isn't really great security, so I want a mortgage. And a mortgage is much better security for a lender because if it goes bad, then the, the way you enforce a mortgage is well known. There are steps that you go through. The court understands it. Everybody understands it. Uh, legal fees are protected. You can get an order to get the house back. Cut a long story short, mm -hmm. if you're looking to give your lender real security, uh, a mortgage is way better security than a promissory note. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that, that, that pretty much answers this question there. I mean, it was, um, I'm just pulling back to it now. Um, it, it, how secure is that contract? You know, when the, I guess what his question was when the house sells. Okay. So here's, here's the follow up to this, uh, to this question is when the house sells, do they have some sort of a special interest in the property and that, um, the lawyers will pay them, um, They'll, they'll get paid by the lawyers for their loan regardless of profits. So I guess the, the, the concern that the, the, the uh, prospect lender is having is that what happens if you lose money on this deal? How do I know I'm going to get paid back when you sell this property? Uh, well, uh, the, there's a kind of a two-parter here. Mm -hmm. So we talked about having uh, needing to have that charging clause. <clears throat> Yes. I, you know, I, Josh, hereby charge my property with payment of the debt. So that allows the, the promissory note, or if there's a mortgage, to be registered against the property. And so when the property sells, the lawyer helping Josh, who's now selling and trying to get everybody's money out, will get a copy of the title. He'll look at the title and he'll say, okay, what, when I get the sale proceeds, what am I going to do with it? And he'll look at the title. Likely there's a first mortgage on there and there should be the promissory note also registered against the title. Or a second mortgage. Or a second mortgage or if they choose a mortgage rather than a note. So yeah, both of those would be registered against the title. The lawyer will get hold of the lender. He'll say, Wayne, uh, see, there's a note on the title. How much does Josh owe you? He'll, and he'll get a written payout statement from Wayne might even get a discharge of the note mm -hmm. uh, and have it in hand so that when the house sells, uh, he knows he has to pay Wayne back his promissory note money or his mortgage money. 
So uh, when a house sells, the secured parties, the first mortgage or the promissory note and the second mortgage, get paid first, and only then would uh, Josh start to get his profit. If there were, if this was uh, listed with Calvin, Calvin listed the property, Calvin would get his real estate commission paid. If I was the lawyer, I'd get my legal fees paid. So first mortgage, second mortgage slash promissory note, uh, real estate commission, lawyer fees, and then you get down to what's left for Josh. Which leads into the last part of this is that Josh has to know what he's doing when he figured everything out and established his ARV that Wayne mm -hmm. was talking about earlier. Yeah. If uh, Josh was no good at what he was doing, uh, there might not be enough money to pay anything other than maybe the first mortgage. Not enough to pay the note, not enough to pay commission, not enough to pay the lawyer. Well, the lawyer isn't doing the work if you don't know there's enough money to pay him. <laughs> yeah, I don't just think so he's you know, folks, just <laughs> so you know. Uh, so that, uh, that is kind of the, I guess the, not the timeline, but the order in which yeah. things would be paid out. And it's the reason uh, it's it's another discussion that the lender does need security registered against the property, but it doesn't guarantee the lender that it get all his money back because Josh has to know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. uh, he did have a little bit more, and, and I'm going to answer this very quickly just so that uh, we can get to other people's questions. But I guess it was um, you know, one more extension to that would be, I guess, the comparison of doing a joint venture 50-50 um, as compared to doing a promissory note or a second mortgage where they get a, a fixed rate of return. Um, I guess what they're trying to do is, is comparing the risks on both sides. If we were to do a joint venture 50-50, I risk um, losing money because now I have to share in the losses if we lose money. Um, and if I did a promissory note where I was supposed to get 10% return, but you lost money, same thing. I risk not getting my money back, but I mean, the lender would still be owed the money regardless. They would just have to go after, they would have to go after, um, Josh personally to get their money through, you know, a claim, um, you know, cause the money is still owed. So, I mean, if you're looking at it from a risk perspective, I would say if they really wanted to guarantee that they got paid, um, and, 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 and you hypothetically lost money on this deal, the, the most secure way I would say for making sure that they get paid uh, what they're owed would be to do a promissory note or a second mortgage. But, um, but in the, in the events, uh, there's so much to this question. It, it's almost, a, it's almost a full day course uh, on joint ventures, <laughs> which uh, Josh, by the way, uh, have a look in your portal there uh, because you're part of the master's mentorship program. There is a full joint venture <laughs> course that just got added this week. Um, that you're going to really want to check out. Uh, but even in the event of a joint venture as well, joint, you can, when you have a joint, when you're, when you partner with someone, say you're to partner with me and I, and I was to provide the investment funds, I was the money partner. Um, I have the ability to register our joint venture agreement on title in the form of a caveat. Same thing. It's a charge. So that means that before you can sell the property, you need to, you need to, uh, what's the term? You need to uh, remove, you know, these charges, the, the mortgage that's in place, the joint venture agreement, any promissory notes, any liens on the property. They all need to be discharged. I guess that's the word, right? 
Just got the correct <laughs> order, yes. Just they all need to be discharged before the you know before title can transfer to the end uh, buyer. So um, there's a lot more to this, and I mean, I, I highly recommend looking into that joint venture course. Um, you know, it's going to answer a lot of your questions. And then, um, you know, if you want to go dive deeper into this, we do have a coaching session tonight as well. We can, we can dive deeper into it. Um, okay. Cause I wanted, I wanted to get into Jared's question as well. And, and however, I mean, any other questions we have in here that I missed, um, are you okay with just this rapid fire, you know, question, um, uh, layout, Barry? Well, I, I think I, I don't mind doing it. It's kind of fun i'm just yeah sitting here talking law and property and relationships and all the stuff i love to talk about all the time so. <laughs> me too me too i you know and i know that this is going to alleviate a lot a lot of pressure and and resistance that people have towards doing deals because they almost feel like they need to know all of these answers and in some cases you do you do need to to to, ha to be able to answer these things when people ask them but, you know, building a good power team or a reliable team around you of professionals like, you know, a real estate lawyer who's been at it for, for, for 40 something years, um, you know, that, that's that's how you do it. You don't have to know all the answers. You just need to have the right team in place so that you can get the answers when you need them. So um, don't don't be too overwhelmed by all this stuff. Um, you don't need to become a real estate lawyer to be an investor. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, you absolutely do not. And, and Wayne, one another thing that we say in every focus workshop we teach that that you know because you're a focus team leader and you've heard it a lot of times is focus. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, way more important to get started than be perfect. So if you have a good power yeah. team, uh, they will. And if you take a conservative approach to, to getting started, you you will be fine. You buy a you know you buy a suitable property in a great area with with good coaching and then you you know you make it work according to your plan and you will almost almost always be fine so don't be afraid to step out mm -hmm. uh, don't don't let that analysis paralysis stop you from uh, from getting going to your goals because with a with a great team i really i do believe you'll just be fine so lots lots of to this we could talk issues and problems all day long but oh god yeah you know, that isn't the way it is in real life. It's way more often, okay, I've got a fabulous deal here. I've got some great tenants. I've got some positive cash flow. I'm going to manage the heck out of this property. And okay, mm -hmm. got that one in the bag. Where's my next deal? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so we got an agreement for sale question. Um, this one should be relatively easy. If I want to submit an offer on a house through my, through my realtor, uh, but the offer that you want to... Sorry, my, my volume's a little off. The offer that you want to submit is an agreement for sale offer. So you're, um, how would the realtor get paid their commission on an agreement for sale offer? Would they have to wait until the end of the term or would I as the buyer have to pay the commission up front? So that's a really great question. Uh, and firstly, hmm, let me answer this. Well, it really usually, it divides up into two camps. There, there is the situation where there isn't enough money in the deal now, but there might be later. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's the situation where there's enough equity in the deal right now. So, so it's a realtor listed property. You're putting in, um, you're putting in an agreement for sale offer, but the seller has, um, the seller has some equity in the property and 
he wants money up front from you. So you, you submit your, your agreement for sale offer and you only want to put up $5,000 and have the seller be your bank for the other $395,000 of a $400,000 deal. And, and there are deals like that, folks. There are deals where you put up $5,000 or even where, um, where sellers write you a check in order to do an AFS deal. But, but let's say this is realtor listed. You, you uh, put in your offer for 5,000, 395 AFS, total 400,000. It's a realtor listed property. And as you put in that offer, the seller's realtor will say, ah, $5,000. So a commission on this deal is seven plus 3%, nine, 16,000 plus GST. Uh, commission here is 16,000 plus GST and there's only a $5,000 deposit. Uh, so exactly how are you gonna pay the commission? And so a seller uh, might negotiate to say, well, sorry, we can't put up, we can't do a deal for 5K. I gotta at least get enough to pay my realtor. And and you might have to put up, uh, you know, $17,000 or whatever would be enough to pay the realtors. Commission. Right, right. Um, in rare circumstances, realtors might say, well, you know, uh, there'll be equity. The seller will have equity at the end of the deal when he, when the buyer actually pays him out and I will postpone, I will postpone my commission until the AFS deal is paid out. And then the realtor would say, but we're going to do this deal. My realtor's caveat protecting my commission is going to go on this title before your AFS caveat, Mr. Buyer. Ah. I don't want to wait here. I don't want to wait, but I get it. I have to wait. Otherwise, we're not doing the deal. But I'm going to put a caveat on, which a realtor is allowed to do to protect his commission. Interesting. So that would show up on the title and then, then buyer's AFS caveat. So it can be, it can go either way, but uh, it's one of the reasons that we don't do too many AFS deals with realtors is because the commission thing, uh, A, doesn't work very well. Lots of times uh, their brokers don't like AFS deals. They don't know what to do with a deal where a title doesn't change. Yeah. It just mixes them up. So most AFS deals are not MLS deals. They can be, but they're not usually. There's tons of opportunities, but... Um... Yeah, it just it complicates things with 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 lack of familiarity. And there was another question here from Chris. He said uh, something very similar. What if the other lawyer doesn't know anything about creative financing deals? Same thing. Okay, Wayne. Well, what's the answer to that? What do we teach in our focus workshops about doing creative deals of any kind, AFS deals especially? What do we say to our students about the need for lawyers who understand an AFS? It's, it's too early. I feel like there's a stock answer for this, but I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> well, I know, I know you know this. I, <laughs> I just don't know which direction you're going at this particular moment. <laughs> so the the answer the answer is so if you're an AFS, if you're a creative real estate student, you certainly yes. need your own lawyer who knows how to put together an AFS deal. It, yes. I mean, it will not work if you don't have your own lawyer who understands AFS. But your lawyer, yes. Your own lawyer, your own lawyer. Yeah. But what also doesn't work is if your other party, if the seller doesn't have a lawyer who understands AFS and he goes to see his own lawyer who's never seen this and doesn't understand, um, 
they'll say, you know, I don't like this. This sounds bad. I have, if you're, this is uh, risky. Don't do it. And yeah. the deal will die. So very important for both parties in an AFS deal to have lawyers who understand AFS. And you know what? There's getting to be more. I'm yeah. going into another lawyer here in Edmonton that uh, does AFS deals, and I'm doing my third one with him now and didn't do one with him uh, six months ago. Now I'm doing my third one. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I don't know if I should say this in front of you, but um, I don't think that lawyers are trained to tell you all the all of the reasons to do something. I think that most lawyers are trained to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't do it. Yeah. That has been my experience. If, if you're looking for someone to, to to lift you up and give you all the, you know, uh, lawyers are there to protect you, to protect you from things that you're not aware of. So if your seller is going to a lawyer and they don't know anything about this, they're going to say, well, I've never seen anything like this before. And here's all of your risks. Um, whereas if they have a little bit of familiarity with it, they can say something along the lines of, yes, this is an agreement for sale contract. We've done a bunch of these. Um, here are the things that you should consider. Uh, you're going to want to make sure you protect yourself in these types of ways. But just see how the, the narrative is just a little bit different there. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Lawyers, uh, lawyers know that they can't get themselves really in trouble by saying no to a deal, but they can get themselves in lots of trouble by saying yes. So uh, what lawyers are terrible at is explaining to people that uh, that this any situation has various possibilities. Yes. Various possibilities. And then where they fail is to talking about the probability. It's one thing to say, okay, the possibilities are one, two, three, four, five. These are things that could happen. And then uh, it's a whole other thing to say, but... Let's go over them one by one. How yeah. risky is how risky is possibility number one? What is the probability that possibility number one will actually come to pass? How would it come to pass? How would that affect you? And you know, kind of, what's the percentage of? Is it yeah. is it one out of one hundred, or is it fifty percent? I mean, that's, those are totally different things. If it if it could happen one out of two deals, that's way way different than. I rarely ever see this, and I estimate it's one out of a hundred that this thing could bite you in the butt. Yeah. I mean, it, and then you say, and lawyers should say, so you just need to know kind of what that is. It's up to you to decide whether you want to take on the risk that I've explained. Yes. Yes. So and, and and you've heard lots of stories, and I've heard lots of stories where even some sellers they'll hear, you know, a negative, um, something negative from a lawyer, and a lawyer says, I don't know, it's just I don't think you should do it, and then yet. They say, yes, I want to do it, right? And so, you know, I go back to my comment earlier about the fact that a contract is just a piece of paper that protects you. I think that in a lot of cases in these types of contracts, um, you, 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 you establish them, you sign them, you do all of your, you know, seven or 10 elements. So, you know, make sure you're, you're covering all your bases. But then at the end of the day, as long as both parties are in agreement. And they're both, uh, you know, they both have capacity. Um, you know, it, it's just a technicality just to complete this contract for the what ifs. If you're in agreement, then that you can do just about anything, right? Yeah, no, you, you can. And I, I think that uh, as as folks gain more experience in, in the real estate field and they talk to lawyers about possibilities and probabilities, you 
if you have a what you think is a good deal, folks, and uh, you sit with your lawyer and he says, okay, well, you got to be concerned about this, this, and this, uh, you have a chat with them about, okay, I hear what you're telling me. Uh, I understand it's a possibility. Let's talk about the probability and let's talk about the details of the probability because I need a bit more info so I can make a decision. And then as you get experience, you'll be able to say to your lawyer, okay, I get it. I understand what you're saying that there is this, but I've, uh, I've considered it and I'm not concerned about this particular risk. I, I want to go ahead with this deal. Thank you for explaining that, but I want to go ahead. Okay, what's next on the list? So uh, you're the boss in a relationship with a lawyer. The lawyer isn't the boss, you're the boss. Lawyers think they're the boss, but they're really not. Um, so you have to uh, develop your, uh, your listening and understanding and I'm the master of the deal skills so that you're in control of it, taking advice from your power team. I mean, mm -hmm. if, we, if we turn this round and somebody's dealing with Calvin, Calvin's the realtor and Calvin says, okay, so you wanna buy a house in this area um, you know, towns have different areas. So there's great areas for these reasons and there's sketchier areas. In my professional opinion as a realtor, this is a sketchier area. And so these are the risks you're running um, if you buy in this area. So that's Calvin's job to talk to people about those aspects of a deal. As mm -hmm. a buyer, you might say, um, you know, in my job, Calvin, I'm a city planner and I happen to know that this area is due for redevelopment. I know that the federal and the provincial and the city are going to spend a whole bunch of money. New LRT is going through here. I'm buying now while prices are low. I, I believe in five years that uh, this area is going to be a fabulous area and people will pay twice what I'm paying to get a property here. So thank you for that advice, Calvin. But I'm still going ahead with the purchase. So yes. Calvin's explained the risk. You've analyzed. You make your own decision. Yeah. So Jared uh, just wanted to, to close out um, on his, in his uh, question a little bit earlier. Obviously, we, we, we kind of took it in a, in a different direction. But um, so he finalized by saying, so, so long as you have a big enough deposit to pay commission, that's all you need to assure the realtor gets paid then. I, 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 I think that I, maybe, I don't know if we said it or not, but the seller, if the seller listed on MLS they are responsible. They signed into um, an agreement uh, with their realtor to pay their realtor for, for listing the property. They listed the property. You brought your realtor in and you've made an offer and you had them work for you as well. So both, both realtors uh, on both sides are, are due for what they're owed, right? You've yeah. signed agreements, broker agreements with both of them. Okay. So normally uh, upon when you get the proceeds of the sale, that's when the realtor would get paid. But because the proceeds of the sale are getting delayed with the seller financing with the agreement for sale, um, it's the responsibility of the seller to still pay both brokers. Okay. The both realtors on both sides. Now, if they are not, if they don't have the funds available for that to, to pay out of pocket because they were relying on the proceeds from the sale to pay, then yes, a, a great way to solve that would be for you to increase your deposit so that they had the available funds or their proceeds so that they could pay both realtors that are involved. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, 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 that would be the 
kind of standard solution to yeah. realtors have listed the property. The listing agreement says they'll get paid uh, a certain amount of commission established by a formula. And so when any offer comes in, uh, if it doesn't have enough cash coming to the seller to pay the commission, then discussions will have to be had. The easiest way around it is to just make sure as a buyer, you're putting up enough deposit that will come to the seller on the completion day so that he can pay his realtors their commission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. One last question. One more. Let's hit it. Okay, let's hit it. Let's hit it. Hey, it's uh, it's your Sweetie Pie's birthday today, isn't it? It is. It's uh, Donna's birthday, and we're going to have a celebratory weekend. We're going to go out for dinner. We're going to do some fun stuff, but I'm really looking forward to it. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm going to have to... I have to reach out to her after this. Um, so Chris, uh, I guess he suggested this would have been an agreement for sale from, I think what I understand. He suggested, uh, that the seller, um, used his lawyer, but they didn't want to thinking it was a conflict of interest. Now in an agreement for sale scenario, can, can, or will a lawyer represent both parties? Or should uh, well you have to start from the from the premise that the law society of alberta our governing body has kind of rules that they make us follow and it's not a hundred percent rule but they say it is a dumb idea to act for both <laughs> both parties do not is that what it says <laughs> just like that because you know if you put it in legalese they get to, you know they <laughs> So it's the law society does not like it when we act for both parties. I don't even like acting for both parties when uh, folks are just buying and selling a normal house. Yeah. Uh, partly I'm always, I'm on for the bank. If I'm on for the buyer and they're getting a mortgage, I'm always on for the bank. So I'm already representing the bank and the buyer. Uh, and I don't really want to represent the seller. I know there are lawyers who do that. I know you can usually manage it, but as a principal, I, I don't, although some lawyers do. But when you get onto anything complicated, that's when you get into the notion of people need their own independent advice. They need their own lawyer. Agreements for sale are not really well known, and there are always lots of wrinkles and crinkles to uh, iron out. Mm -hmm. So it would, I would never, ever act for both parties in an agreement for sale situation, for sure. Um, I don't know about no. other lawyers, but I wouldn't do it. They're just they're just too complicated. Yeah. You have to. I mean, when I'm advising buyers and sellers on agreements for sale, I have different uh, perspectives that I present to someone as a seller than I present to someone as a buyer because it's it's different for each for each side. They have different things to think about, different what ifs. And yes. so, uh, from my end of things, I I wouldn't do it, but you know. Maybe some other yeah. lawyer would. I would be edgy about a lawyer who wants to act for both sides in an agreement for sale. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just, it, it, it's as, like you said, it's dumb. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's way too complicated. You can't get good advice when, and, you know, when the lawyer is trying to wear two hats. Especially the seller who has no understanding of this whatsoever. Now, you as a sophisticated real estate, you probably took one of Barry's agreement for sale courses. I hope to God you did. Otherwise I, I'll say it again. That's just dumb. Um, 
so you know you have an education and experience this is this is someone who's you know and and in, in more often than not in in a case where they are um they're, they're motivated they they you know you're trying to solve a problem for them so by coercing them into saving a little bit of money and to using my lawyer because you know your lawyer doesn't understand how to do it you know it's that's they need their own independent legal advice um, that's the right thing to do and it's also um, a smart thing to do safe because uh, you know if anything ever was to go wrong that doesn't look very good for you that you coerce them they were they were you know in a terrible situation you tried to save them a couple bucks so you use the same lawyer it, it would just be an absolute nightmare yeah, everybody um, would be in trouble if it goes sideways so one other thing I'll just add on to this and then we'll finish up is that um, if you're wondering which lawyers uh, do understand, you know, uh, creative uh, deals, how to do creative financing, room for sales, rent owns, those types of things. Um, as part of Barry McGuire's um, focus workshops or any of his home study kits, um, he provides, there's a list of lawyers that, uh, that, that Barry and Donna know um, have done deals within Alberta and, and, and other provinces as well. So when you take one of their agreement for sale courses or workshops, it, there's a list that comes with it. And I've used that list myself for years, whenever I'm, you know, if I'm doing a deal in Calgary or if I'm doing a deal in Edmonton or wherever in BC, Ontario, um, you just go and look at the list and here's, here's a suggested list of, of lawyers. So, um, and as well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know we didn't talk about this, Barry, but you actually do have an agreement for sale course coming up. You guys just launched it, like, or just announced it this week. Oh yeah, that's right, Wayne. Um, Donna is the producer of our courses, and she's been uh, working hard on setting up a um, uh, a brand new all day agreement for sale course. Agreement for in sale. person. In person. In person, not Zoom. And uh, you know, in our rapid cash program when we do the two-day six strategy uh, course we spend over half a day or about a half a day on agreements for sale but uh, there's a lot of demand right now for agreements for sale and so we've decided to put together a full day course on nothing but agreements for sale that's coming up in September I think it's September 24th 24th, 24th yeah yep exactly in Edmonton in, uh, in Edmonton we did our last RCP in Calgary in May. So it's coming up in Edmonton. I'm really looking forward to it because it'll give us the time to really uh, dive into the into the examples. I, you know, it's one thing to teach the theory, but I like doing the case studies and the examples and getting people to actually write agreement for sale offers and then discuss because uh, you can listen a lot, but you learn by doing and uh, a full day course gives us more time to do that real good learning experience. I agree. I agree. Um, so definitely guys jump on that. It's, it's, um, I, I, I don't know how long you guys have been listening to the show, but I've talked about a million times that like I hit a roadblock early on when I was investing and I took their courses and it literally catapulted me. So if you're wondering how I got to where I am, it's because of the courses that they teach. So I, I endorse it 100%. I, 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 I mean, I got a tattoo on my chest to prove it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but good <laughs> anyways um barry thank you so much for uh for taking the time this morning and uh hopping on at 6 a.m i appreciate it and 
Is that what you appreciate, Swain? <laughs> That's what I appreciate about you. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, another ha- big happy birthday to Donna. I can see that she's uh, she's she's watching here, and and um, I hope you guys have an amazing day today. All right, thanks. Always fun. Let's do it again. You betcha. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Interested in being a guest on the show? Send us an email to info at reimorningshow.com. 